0: this morning we're going through the minor prophets, and the title of the series is going to be Major in Minors, because we need to understand that God still speaks. So in Jewish tradition there's a collection of writings from twelve prophets, and it's known in Jewish tradition as the Book or the Scroll of the Twelve. We know them as Minor Prophets. They're Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Zechariah, and Malachi. Or if you want to make them with Malachi, the Italian prophet. They're known as the minor prophets. And the first thing that we need to uh, see is that the main difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is not in their message, as far as its truth or importance, it's in the quantity or length message. As I said, in Jewish tradition, it's known as the scroll of the twelve. In comparison, Isaiah has many scrolls. So all of the minor prophets fit on one scroll in ancient times, and so that's why they're called the minor prophets. And so, these prophets are going to help us understand that God speaks, and when he speaks, we need to listen and pay attention. And the uh, theme verse for our series comes from Amos, chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. Meaning anything that the Lord does, he has told us that He's willing to do. So going, going back to my other slide so that I can still have a title slide here, in the book of Hosea, our mini-series within the series, Hosea, the book, its theme is the greatest love story ever told. So this book is named after the prophet Hosea. His name is the same as Israel's last king. And also Joshua's original name. You see in 2 Kings 17:1 it says in the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hosea, or also pronounced Hosea, son of Eliah, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. In Numbers 13:8, we read, Hosea, son of Nun, of Ephraim and in verse 16 of that same chapter in Numbers it says these were the names of the men Moses sent out to scout the land and Moses renamed Hosea son of Nun, Joshua the name Hosea means salvation or Yahweh has rescued Hosea's ministry was happened happen around 8th century BC during the reigns of Uzziah and Jeroboam II. his book is a collection of of the prophet's servant balancing God's wrath and love based on his own family, especially his marriage. Hosea's message of the greatest love story focuses on these main topics: Israel's historical relationship with God. How does Israel relate with God all through history? Israel's love affair with idolatry. Israel's economic, military, and political practices and conditions. It also books on God's expectations of Israel and God's unfailing love for his people. Isaiah's context, as outlined by Warren Weir, he uh, he has a great book on this. Um, It's not set up in your normal commentary form. It's more of a book that you can read through. And it's called Be Amazed, and it's out of his B series in which every book of the Bible has a B associated with it. This one is Be Amazed. He says, after the death of King Solomon, his son Rehoboam pursued a course which divided the nation into two kingdoms, and Rehoboam reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom, composed of Judah and Benjamin, and Jeroboam II ruled over the remaining ten tribes that formed the northern kingdom of Israel, which is also called Ephraim. Fearful that the people would go back to Jerusalem to worship Jeroboam the first. comes immorality. And soon the religion of Israel became an evil blend of Jewish ritual and pagan idolatry. And the people loved it. This is the context that these prophets are sent out in. The prophets are God's spokesmen to Israel to call Israel and Judah back to the covenant that God gave with them on Mount Sinai. The people refused to listen. Both kingdoms will suffer because of their disobedience. Israel, the the northern kingdom will become an Assyrian vassal in 733 B.C., meaning they are not in control themselves. When when Jesus comes on the scene, Israel is a Roman vassal. 722 B.C., Israel will be completely conquered and absorbed by Assyria. Babylonians will invade Judah in 606 B.C., and then will destroy Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Thousands of Jews will die, thousands more go into exile. Hosea ministered to the northern kingdom from 760 B.C. to 720 B.C. This was a time where Israel was enjoying great prosperity. There's always trouble when a nation enjoys prosperity, by the way, as we can see from our own time. Hosea, as a prophet, could see that the nation arrived faithfully preached the word. The nation refused to repent and, and as of judgment became swallowed up by Assyria. The message throughout his book is salvation is found in turning away from sin and turning instead to the Lord. And the key verse for Hosea comes from Hosea chapter 2 verse 20 where the Lord says I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Message in Hosea chapter one. We're going to go all the way to verse one of chapter two. The title of this message is Hosea's message. His family. Hosea is the only writing prophet who was raised and ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel. Amos was another one who ministered to the northern kingdom, but he was born south of Jerusalem in Judah. Hosea's studying joins his unique call because. and not from other prophets. So let's start reading in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord, that came to Hosea, son of Mary, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, and of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity. For the land is by abandoning the Lord. So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Bethlehem, and she conceived the bore of a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For in a little while, I will bring the blood of Jezreel on the house the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or counted in a place where they in a place where they were told you were not my people they will be called sons of the living God and the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together they will appoint for themselves a single ruler and go up to the land for the day of Jezreel will be great call your brothers my people and your sisters wife and marriage. In the first three verses, it says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Mary, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those were all kings of Judah. And then Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, son. In verse 1, we get our lineage of where Hosea fits into the kings. We know that he's the son of Mary, but that's all we know about him. In fact, this is the only place where Hosea is mentioned in the Bible. We know that he was under the reigns of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of the southern kingdom in Judah. And during the reign of Jeroboam, Son of Jehoash, King of Israel, the Lord of of the call and the message of Hosea. You see, where most prophets are given a message from the Lord to speak, Hosea was given a message to live. Now when the Lord first spoke to That way you understand it, you've it, and God can now use you in speaking it forth. us. Now, Hosea, like many of us, would prefer that the Lord would speak a word to us to give to somebody else, and we don't even have to touch it. We, we love to sit in church, and, and that's the person next to us say, hey, you need to listen, because this really fits you right now. Or how many of us say, you know what, I need to sing this message because I know exactly who needs to hear it. speak to a nation or a people, he himself must hear from God for himself. Before we can share a message with anybody, we need to take that message again. Now to be sure, the prophets of the Old Testament, they were the odd bunch. You could tell who was a prophet in the Old Testament. Usually they looked funny, they dressed funny, they spoke funny. and something about the He didn't want somebody who fit in with the culture. He needed somebody who stood out. And so they did strange things, right? They dressed differently went differently. spoke differently. Their families were different. They did things that made them eccentric. Like Isaiah, for example. He was called to walk the streets naked for three years. Isaiah chapter 20, it says, In that year, the chief commander sent by King Sargon of Assyria came to Shad and attacked and captured it. During that time, the Lord had spoken through Isaiah, son of Ahma, saying, Go back cloth, remove the sandals from your feet, and he did that, going stripped and barefoot. And the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot three years of a sign and omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, none and all the stripped and barefoot, with bare buttocks to Egypt's shame. get that going. Now Jeremiah the prophet spent several months walking around with a yoke upon himself. In Jeremiah 27, it says this is what the Lord said to me, make chains and yoke bars for yourself and put them on your neck, and we learned that he had been walking around like that for months. A greater object lesson because people have grown deaf and blind to his voice, grown deaf and blind to his covenant. He needs something that will wake them up, that will jolt them to understanding he's trying to speak to them. They're called action sermons. And surely no prophet ever preached a more difficult and painful action sermon than Hosea. But we need to understand God's word. Was not easy, and usually is not easy. But we are called to obey it. We are called to hear it. We are called to heed it. What a time we serving God, though, right? Um, the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity and other detestable acts, which probably include murder, idolatry, immorality. The sinfulness was rampant, and no one was interested in hearing the word of the Lord. It's almost like he was in the 21st century. Of this. Hosea is called by the Lord and told to get married and raise a family. Raise a family that is known for promiscuity. The marriage of family was assigned to a land without committing the same equivalent of morality and errors toward God. And as the land abandons God to the ways of idolatry, God is illustrating this is the hurt I feel. Hosea, I want you to understand that hurt because that's what's going to help you to preach. guys didn't know that, that God hurts when we commit acts of immorality against him when we commit idolatry. It's not in the same way like we're in any way he's suffering, but in, in a way that he loves us so intently that when we commit those acts, it hurts him in a way that we cannot understand. And so Isaiah's marital experiences are to include the pain felt by his wife's owner there to help to experience what God does with unfaithful Israel. What amazes me the most about all of this is verse 3. Verse 3 says, So he went and married over. God's word says to him, go marry a woman of God's beauty. The next thing, so he went and married over. Now I'm sorry that, you know, it's condensed here, is resting with God over what he was asking. In fact, I'm almost sure because of my own experiences in resting with God's word, where I'm like, Lord, I don't want to teach that. Uh, One, I don't don't want to have to follow that. And if I teach that, I don't want to be seen as someone who's a hypocrite in which I'm teaching something I myself won't follow. All that's left out. think that there's a reason why it's all left out of it because what matters the most is it doesn't matter if you wrestle with God. What matters is if you ultimately obey God. Jesus said this very thing in the parable in Matthew, Matthew 21, verse 28. He says, What do you think? The man has two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, I'll work in the vineyard today. And he answered. He said, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went and did it. Then the man went said, I will, sir. But he didn't bow. Jesus asked, which of these two did his father's will? And they said, the first. That's when Jesus said, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes, or any kingdom of God before you. See, it doesn't matter if you wrestle with God. Are you obeying God? God can handle us wrestling with him. But he's not calling us to obey him because what he has for us is good. First son. That's the next part of his message. His first son, Jezreel. Verses 4 and 5. That the Lord said to him to him, Jezreel. For a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Israel. I'm sorry, I'll bring the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of David and put an end to the kingdom of the, the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow, the bow of Israel in Jezreel Valley. The Lord is going. hard thing, right? I have this name that God. It was supposed to be this. God says, no, it's going to be that. Jezreel means God sows or God scatters. And his name is to communicate that every time Gomer or Hosea call their child from wherever they are at, it will speak to the promise. swallowed up in Assyria. That's why it's a miraculous thing. in the end times when Israel comes out and all 12 tribes are once again named and identified and separated. Because God knows who they are. This prophecy is rooted in that command of the Lord that came to James. It's recorded in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 9-7. He says to James, you are to strike down the house of your master Ahab. Now, remember Ahab, right? The evil king, right? does, So that I may have By the hand of Jezebel, the blood of my servants, the prophets, and of all the servants of the Lord. So zealous was Jehu to purge the land of Ahab's feeble descendants that he murdered far more people than commanded by the Lord, including King Ahaziah and 42 of his relatives. And you find that in 2 Kings 9:27 through chapter 10, 14. On top of that, though, Jehu also failed to carefully follow the instructions of the Lord. Jehu, four generations to sit on the throne. You see, Jeroboam set up the false worship, and Dan and Bethel to keep Israel from going to Jerusalem and Judah. And Jehu continued in that. He did not turn away from it. In 2 Kings 10, verse 30, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord said, Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what is right, in my sight have done to the house of Ahab, all that was in my heart, four generations of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel. Verse 31, Yet Jehu was not careful to follow the instruction of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins that Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. He continued in that idolatry, and he will be punished for it. And that's what the name Jezreel is speaking to the nation. Through the birth of Hosea's son, the Lord announced the avenging of innocent blood spilt by Jehu, and will end Jehu's dynasty in Israel. Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel, was the site of the ruthless massacre of Ahab's house. And it would also be the future site of Israel's military demise. The Jehu would fall, and the entire northern kingdom of Israel would follow. Defeated, destroyed, and captive by the Assyrian Empire. Hosea's only daughter, Lo Ruhama. She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Name her Lo Ruhama, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, and I will certainly take them away. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. And I will not deliver them by bow, sword, war, by horses, or cavalry. So, don't they get conceived and were a child Hosea, and this time it was a daughter. The Lord made her again. And the low, Ruhama means not loved. No compassion. He says, for I will started serving about the Baal. So he's not saying I'm turning my back on the entire nation. It's those who have turned away from him Israel. What the Lord is speaking this morning is that despite God's gracious... Exodus 34 7, the very next verse after God describes him as compassionate and gracious. He says, maintain faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren of third and fourth generation. He is reminding us that not only is he gracious and merciful, but watch out because if you exhaust his grace and mercy, find yourself only left with judgment. The Lord, however, says that he will have compassion on the house of Judah, the 17 of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And he says that he will deliver them by the Lord their God, not by bow or sword or war or horses or cavalry. Judah will experience the Lord's love and compassion in the form of deliverance from the Assyrians. And what's really awesome about this is that remember I mentioned that I went to that concert by Philip on Friday. Well, he has a song. It's called Battle of the and he went into this long explanation where that song came from. And I was listening to, listen to it. I was like, wow, that's a really cool story. And then on Saturday as I was putting together my teaching, I came across the exact passages that he was going over and talking about. It. And um, the deliverance of the Assyrians is where that song comes from. The battle belongs to the Lord. Because the Lord, through the prophets Jeremiah 25.6, says, Do not follow other gods serve them and bow and worship them. Do not anger me by the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. In Zechariah 9.9, 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, daughters, lying on, shout, in triumph, daughter, Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey on a coal, the foal of a donkey. We, we know that as the triumphant entry. In Zechariah 9.10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and you will be Proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the end of the year. That is the ultimate promise of deliverance. There's an immediate promise also that came out of Second Kings. Because as the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom, they came to Judah and they came as a sea of men, so great, so vast, where they that the ground shook as they came. And in 2 Kings 19:32, it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Syria. He will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow here, come before it with a shield or build up a siege or a ramp against it. He will go back the way he came and he will not enter the city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Notice what He's all like, here's your part I will do this and I will do that there was nothing for them to do. He said, so That night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. And the king, senator of Assyria, broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. That was in 701 B.C. Israel didn't have to do indicates a trust and faith in Him, a trust and faith in His Word, and a trust and faith in His promises. We can't see the beginning from the end, but we do know that God does, and we trust His Word. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy, and is rising up to show, just God, all who wait patiently for Him are happy. That's your secret to happiness, guys. They say happiness can't be found, but it says right here that that's how you find happiness, you wait upon the Lord. deliver from this evil, from this unjust world. Wait patiently upon the Lord. Don't find your happiness in anything trying to resolve what's going on in the world. Yes, we go out with the message of the gospel, but we we'll wait patiently on the Lord. That's where our happiness is. That's where our joy is. So we come to Hosea's second son. His second son is low. gave birth to a son, and the Lord said, Name him, Lo, Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Harsh words. The twist of irony in this name perhaps seen in that Omer had never given up being a promiscuous wife. Hosea, Everyone could be like, That is not your child. And in the name and what Hosea had to live through, understanding what God says, you are not my people. It was seen as if God is disowning Israel. The relationship must be severed. He says, I will not be your God. Literally, what it is it saying? It says, and I am not I am. Genesis 6-7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. That's the covenant promise, that they would be his people and he would be their God. In Leviticus 26-12, he repeats it, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And you will be my people. Follow every way I command you so that it may go well with you. a relationship has responsibilities. No way am I telling us that we need to go back to any type of legalism. The way that we obey the Lord God now is that we follow and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. He's the one that makes us right with God. That's how we obey Him. We trust in Jesus. And this day was in the covenant of obeying the law that the Lord had given to them, and trusting Him in faith, even if they fall short. But this was not so much a sentence as it was a statement of fact. It's not as if these people really wanted God to be their God and them to be God's people. By their actions, by the way they were living, they have outright rejected God, and the Lord is only recognizing that fact. Gone into the ways of idolatry. Jeremiah you know 11, it says, Which I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt out of the iron furnace, I declared, Obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And again, that promise is repeated in Ezekiel 36, You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors, you will be my people, and I will be your God. Every time the name of this son would be called out, they pushed God away and should no longer be considered His people. God will not force anybody to be His. But those who desire to come and obey Him, they will be His people. If you don't obey God, if you don't want to follow God, if if, if you're like, you live in your life, I don't need God, I don't want to listen to God, I don't need His... um, surprised when God says, you are not my people. Because you said at first, you said, you are not my God. But notice that God is faithful to those who declare him to be their God, and they obey, and they follow him, and they make him their God. He says, you are my people. The last message that Hosea has is Hosea's promise from the Lord. Verse 10, it says, yet the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where they were told you were not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together. They will appoint for themselves a single ruler and go up from the land for the day of Jezreel will be great. Call your brothers my people, your sisters, compassion. has there been such a beautiful word to change the tone of what we see in prophecy as that word, yet? Because that word, yet, says, even though all of that, yet I will. It's a conjunction. It says, not with all this being ignored, but with all this being considered, there is. To be sorrow and judgment and disowning, the Lord speaks promise of a future restoration. Despite the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel and the Israelites being absorbed into other cultures and everything, it says the Israelites will be like the sands of the sea. In Romans 9.25, it says "It says in Hosea, I will call not my people my people, but she who is unloved be loved, and it will be in a place where they were told you are not my people. And they will be called sons of the living God. But the Israel cries out concerning Israel, though well, the number of Israelites is like the sand, They experience the benefits of a relationship with the living God as they reoccupy the Promised Land. That is the millennial reign. They will occupy that land again. They will once again be in the innumerable Israelites, who are once again called to choose if God will be their God and if they want to be His people. Not only that, but at the time of the restoration, check this out: the two kingdoms will be united. Uh, northern kingdom was first taken out and the southern kingdom. When this comes back together, they will be united it says, Judea and Israel will be together once again united under one king whom they will appoint the leader appointed by God. You, you know that that was the sin of the kingdom of Israel. They wanted a king that did what they wanted and they weren't willing to So they separated, and that was the beginning of idolatry. It's whatever God says, this is how I want it done. And we say, no, God, I want to do it this way. That's what leads us to idolatry. Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-two says, I will make them one nation in the land of the mountain of Israel, and one king will rule over all of them. They will no longer be two nations. They will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his business in the last days. Amos 9-11. In that day I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. Micah 5-2. All minor prophets, by the way. Bethlehem. his origin is romantically from ancient times. That's the prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Specific Bethlehem because there's multiple cities that are named Bethlehem but it was Bethlehem at the Specifically. Fulfilling the promise to David for an everlasting throne that was made in 2 Samuel 7 verse 15 says, My faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul. I removed from before you, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. The message given to Hosea is that the Israel when it comes back to this land when they have that team that's appointed for them, it says that they will go up from the land. We read that with Western eyes, we're like, so they get everything they want when they leave. They're going to go up, they're going to leave. Better translation is they will grow. And, and, and prosperity. They're going to be the people of God when God shows compassion. And it says new names are given. God promised us a new name and salvation. Jesus did. He says, no longer will you be not my people. No longer will you be no compassion. But you will be my people. And you will be compassion." Paul says in Romans Three brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion, and He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, or regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs, since God's gracious gifts and calling. This is why we say the church does not replace Israel. Never will, never has, never shall. God promises to Israel stand until God fulfills them. He says, I once you disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience. So they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they may also now receive mercy. God has imprisoned all in disobedience. I am disobedient and I am guilty. You put yourself in that group that he has said he will have mercy on if you come in. Your heart, word, the Lord, though. What has God called you to do within your family from him? Can, Can you do it? Will you do it? Because the choice in that is essentially where you're telling God, you're my God or you're not my God. Now, there's some who try to remove the difficulty and the need to obey, and what they'll do, they'll, they'll say, well, was he wasn't really called to marry a wife of promiscuity. They, they, they want to they, they provide a solution. They say, there's no way a holy God would ask somebody to do something that difficult or, or that terrible or, or as, as if our righteousness could ever exceed the eternal God. They say God's love, and it's not being taken literally. The literary style in which it's written, narrative. That's important to note. Narrative means that it's a retelling, it's a recounting of events that happened. And it beautifully illustrates God's love for sinful Israel. The error isn't saying it's just a story, it's just a parable. The other fact. the other That They were. God took them out of the the, the, worshiping Egypt's gods. They started off unfaithful, and he said, I'm going to take you and make you my people. Hosea's marriage was to be an illustration of what it was that God did for Israel. And it may help everyone's conscience to try and change it, but you know what? God doesn't need our help to make him seem righteous. His righteousness exceeds ours. In verse 2, the commandment is, Need to take a wife of promiscuity. Yes, God asks us to do hard things. Whatever view you take, whatever view you want to take with Hosea or not, and view of God's words and promises. If Hosea's call cannot be real, then neither is the story of salvation. So this picture alone illustrates better than words the. what are we? mercy towards Judah shows us two things. First, it's true that Judah and her kings were more faithful unto the Lord during these years exemplified by King Hezekiah. The kings that returned them to the righteousness, to return them to the worship of God. But the second thing it shows us that it doesn't really matter if Judah was more worthy or not than Israel. Because by its very nature, mercy is is what God told us in order for us to find mercy. You can ask for and be shown mercy, but you cannot demand it, and you will never deserve it. It's Sign of judgment now becomes evidence of redemption. Hosea's family teaches us of the grace of God. The same way in which Jesus died a horrific death on the cross, that cross that was meant as a as a human torture device. And their sins. Admitting and, and believing that he died in their place and that his blood covers their sins and that his resurrection from the dead promises them new life in his name. And so we're here, take a communion. Communion is a beautiful way that we have in which the Lord has given us to remember that sacrifice which he made for us, which changes us You are not saved by taking communion. But we do ask those that are saved to take communion and those who are unsaved to not. Partake, but I have a better thing. You can get saved right here, right now. It's, it's something that happens instantaneously when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as you do that, you can then partake with us at the family of God, at His table, remembering that He has taken all that, he has, all that judgment away from us, and it's like promises to us new be Salvation. And if that's you this, this morning, as simple as just bowing your head and in your heart saying, Lord God, that's me. I'm disobedient. I'm guilty. 11, he writes, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus also said, It's off to you. You eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. And that is the promise. That is the future that we look forward to. That is what we are waiting on that future restoration that has been promised. And we can't wait for that day to happen. We look forward to that day. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much. We thank you for and we thank you that know, you put it on display. Not only